good to be here this morning and to be able to look at God's Word. Would you bow with me in prayer before we go into the Lord's Word? Father, we, we thank and praise you, Lord Jesus, uh, for the privilege to come and to worship you. We thank you for the songs that we've been able to sing, Lord, and to bear our hearts before you in worship and praise. But we are equally thankful and, and, and so grateful, Lord, that you have given us this time to sit and to listen to your word this morning. Father, please, may the words of God be spoken today, not the words of man. God, may you open our hearts to receive those words by faith. Lord, to, to trust you, to know you uh, more fully. Uh, God, to, tr to depend upon you and to love you more. Oh, God, please, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, as Matt said, this morning is Father's Day, and everyone here has a father. Granted, not everyone may have a good relationship with their father. There may even be some here today who don't even know their father for whatever reason. Maybe their father was not around when they were born or around when they were growing up. There may be some people who have a father, but at this point in time, they're estranged from them. And uh, so for all intended purposes, they're not a part of their life. There may be those here today who have fathers who have died. And, and today is a hard day, and you miss them very much. There may be some here today, and this may be hard to say, but if you're honest, you may be struggling, and you may wish your father was dead because of the abuse um, that he did towards you all the time that you were growing up and the difficulty that that is. Some of you may have an okay relationship with your father, but I'm guessing that most of you have a very good relationship with your father. You're very thankful to God for the men that the Lord has placed in your life. And while your dad's not perfect, uh, you're very thankful that he's an integral part of your life. Well, this morning, I want to talk about the very best father. Uh, there is a, a very unique father, a perfect father who makes no mistake, a father who is spotless in his parenting. And of course, I'm speaking of God, our father. Now, we, we often refer to God as father, especially when we're praying. Do we not father? You know, when we that's probably the number one way we address God when we pray is to call him father. And even when our kids, you know, when you learn to pray, kids, I'm guessing most of you learn uh, by addressing God as Father. And even Jesus, when his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. What does Jesus say in Matthew 6, 9? Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so today, on this day when our nation celebrates and gives thanks for their earthly fathers, I'd like for us to focus on the reality of who our Heavenly Father is. But, but I do need to clarify something before we begin because I, I have had people over the years come to me and, and say that they can't relate to God as Father because of terrible things, uh, terrible relationships that they've had with their Father. As I said earlier, maybe it was abuse or, or something like that. And I want you to understand as we come and we talk about God as Father, God doesn't call Himself Father because He wants to relate to us and, and so he calls himself father as a reflection of our earthly fathers. That's not the case. Actually, God is the essence of what fatherhood is. 
And, and uh, our fatherhood, even the best of fathers, is merely a faint reflection of his fatherhood. And so God really sort of sets the bar as far as fatherhood and, and, and really explains what it is. Um, so God, our Father, is the definition of fatherhood. He doesn't leave us to, to sort of guess what fatherhood looks like by looking at our earthly example. So resist the temptation this morning to compare God the Father with your earthly fathers. Instead, no matter what kind of relationship you had with your fathers, I encourage you to look to see what God has revealed about Himself as our Heavenly Father. And, and let me just say this. Men, if you want to be good fathers, it's, it's crucial that we know God as Father. Uh, we, you can read all the parenting books you want on fatherhood, but, but nothing will mold and shape you as a father like communing with God daily as your heavenly father. So let's just sort of stop and, and think about what it means that God is our father. And the first thing I want to do is really just sort of define the fatherhood of God. Define the fatherhood of God. What do we mean when we speak of the fatherhood of God? Some say that the fatherhood of God is, is universal, right? That every person, merely by the fact that they are created by God, are his children. And therefore there's a, a place for them in heaven. And such people oftentimes emphasize the fatherhood of God and the, the brotherhood of all mankind. We need to get along. We need, we need to be united. We need to, to just love one another and be accepting of where people are. And, and while I know that not everyone thinks that way, I think the average person on this street, if, if they believe in a deity at all, and maybe not God as he is described in the Bible, but in some vague sense of, of who God is, they most likely hold somewhat of an opinion that we are all God's children and He loves us unconditionally. I mean, I think we hear that when people say things like, well, I'm not so bad. You know, I'm sure I'll go to heaven. You know, God just sort of accepts me. I mean, He made me so, you know, I'm, I'm okay. And I think that's where most Westerners at least are in their belief about God, that they're going to go to heaven. Even though they live in sin and they live in opposition to God and they do acknowledge Him as God, they still think they're going to go to heaven. And of course, that's not the biblical view of, of the fatherhood of God. I mean, certainly the Bible does make mention of, God, of us as God's offspring in Acts 17, 28. But in so doing, it, it is, it's speaking of God as our creator. It's, it's talking about that creator-creature relationship. And that is a much different relationship, far different from the father-son relationship that the Bible has in mind when it refers to the Lord as our father. A relationship in, in which we have a personal, loving communion with our God and enjoy access to his presence. Uh, the creator-creature distinction and relationship is very different than the father-son relationship of those who have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Romans 5, 1 and 2. A very familiar passage. Well, let's read these words this morning. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. In other words, all the sin, the animosity... 
our, our previous life of opposition against God, and it may not have been outright shaking our fist at God, but maybe ignoring God and living life the way we want, you know, that life uh, has been taken care of. God has justified us. There's no estrangement between us and God. Since we have been justified by God, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have a relationship with God. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That is a father-son relationship. That's what the fatherhood of God entails. So we're not born into this relationship simply by emerging from a woman's womb. And therefore we have this kind of relationship with God. But rather God must save us. God must save us from our sins and, and adopt us as his sons. This relationship is ours only when we are united to Christ by faith. And we receive, as, as John describes it, we receive the right to become children of God. So we must be united to the only one who is the Son of God by nature, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn over to Galatians chapter 4, if you would. We're going to do Bible drills today rather than just looking at one passage. Galatians 4, verse 4. Here again, a very familiar passage, but it's good to sort of slow down a little bit and look at these verses a little bit more carefully. Uh, Paul writes to the Galatians and he says, But when the fullness of time had come, in other words, God had been promising the Messiah who would come and save his people. Now, his people had no idea what that really meant, that they he was going to save them. They sort of thought that was more in a nationalistic sense, that you know they would become a nation, maybe they would be returned to the glory days like King David. And it would just be wonderful to be a Jew. But God had a totally different idea of what it meant to save his people. That he was going to, to save them from their sins and call them to be his children. So when the fullness of time had come, God had been promising and promising and promising. And now the day had come for God to fulfill that promise. I said, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son. He has sent the Holy Spirit into your heart to cause you to cry, Abba, Father, so that you are no longer a slave. You're, you're not a slave to sin anymore, but a son. And if a son than an heir through God. Men, dads, fathers, we not only have the privilege of fathering children with our wives, you know, there are some men that that's all they do. They father children and some of those just even take off and leave mom to raise that child. But as Christian men, we don't just have the privilege of fathering children but we have the exclusive right to love our children like our Heavenly Father 
loves us. Dads, do you know the love of the Heavenly Father this morning? Does that love of the Heavenly Father so fill your hearts that you now then know how to love your children with an agape love? With a love that is not like any love of this world, but it is a heavenly world. So that's sort of what it means. You see that father-son relationship. That defines the fatherhood. Let's clarify the fatherhood of God a, a little more this morning as we go on. There are many things we could say about God the Father, but the most important that Christians are to see is that God, see God as full of love for his children. To see God as full of love for his children. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. I'm picking out all these very familiar verses, okay? But they're just, they're good verses. We need to be reminded of these truths. And anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. You see, it's true not only of dads, but really of all Christians that we will never know how to love until we know the God of love. Because God is love. And as we know God, we, we see what love truly is. And, and therefore, we are able, because he enables us, to love others. And, and we know from verse 9, I'm not going to get into it, but you can sort of see that there's a distinction between God and, and the Son. So God here is not just God in a generic sense, but it's talking about God the Father. And also in 2 Corinthians 13.4, a verse that... Uh, I, we use as a benediction oftentimes. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. You've heard me use that before, a good Trinitarian benediction. Uh, but Paul assigns grace to the Lord Jesus Christ and fellowship to the Holy Spirit. But what does he assign to the Father? Love. Love. It's a great truth of the gospel. However, even as his children, it's not uncommon for us to view the Father as only full of, of wrath and anger against sin and maybe even disappointment in us. And so therefore, as we view the Father that way, oftentimes it's easy for us to view ourselves sort of distance from the Father. We feel very close to Jesus. He came... And he died for our sins. But the Father sometimes can be very distant. The, the sovereign Lord sitting on his throne, overseeing his creation. We see God in his, his transcendence, but not in his image. God the Father being the one who brings adversity in our lives, while grace and compassion comes to us through Jesus Christ. Even though the Father's greatest desire is that you should receive him into your souls as one full of love and tenderness, and kindness to you, it is not uncommon for us to struggle with that and to see God in a much different way than the Bible portrays Him. John Owen, in his book, Communion with God, and by the way, if you've not read that book, Communion with God, I would encourage you to read that. Uh, it will, it, I'm, I'm sure it will greatly bless your soul. But he talks about this idea of, of the way that we might see God in a way that's less than biblical, in a way that's even harsh sometimes. And he said, our flesh and blood is apt to think hard thoughts of God. It's apt to think hard thoughts of God. To think that he is always angry 
and incapable of being pleased with his sinful creatures. That it is not for them to draw near to him and that there is nothing in the world more to be desired than never to come into his presence. You see, sometimes I, I wonder if we don't struggle in our quiet times with the Lord, um, not because we're just distracted and stuff, but maybe we don't see the love of the Father. Maybe we don't see that He loves us so much He is drawing us into His presence. And we see Him as a distant God and so we don't, we're not just so prone to, to go into His presence. Owen goes on and he said, Satan rejoices when he can fill your heart with such hard thoughts of God. Satan's purpose from the very beginning was to fill mankind with lies about God. Think about what he said to Eve in the garden, right? He began to question, you know, did God really say this? Did God? And he was really putting into question the goodness of God. Because he wanted Eve to view God differently than he truly was. And he, Satan still works that same scheme today in our lives. Owen goes on and he said, God knows full well what fruits this bitter root is likely to bear. He knows what alienation of the heart, what unbelief this bitter root will bring to the Christian. And worst of all, he knows how it leads us to avoid walking with him. If we don't see God's love, if we don't know that love, we will be prone to walk in a way that's distant from God rather than embracing him. How unwilling, Owen goes on and he said, how unwilling is a child to come into the presence of an angry father. Kids, you know that, don't you? I mean, you have great dads. I know that. I, I know your dads, okay? But, you know, we also come to temptation sometimes. And sometimes dad gets get angry. Who left the lights on? Or who put this here? How many times have I told you? You know, and they do that. And what do the kids do when dads do that? They scatter. And that's not the time to, like, snuggle up to dad, right? You know, that's the time to leave. And if we see God that way, that could be our temptation is to scatter rather than moving towards Him, to love Him and embrace Him. How often do we as Christians avoid the sweet fellowship with God through His Word and prayer because if we're honest with ourselves, we really do not desire to be with God and to fellowship with Him. Instead, we perceive God as distant. We know that He is there for us and and I think we would even say we know that God loves us. But we don't always think of His tender kindness towards us. And sometimes instead we, we know God is there, but we think of Him almost like a genie in a bottle that we put on the shelf. And that when we need God, we can pull that bottle off the shelf and we can come to God and we can pray. But God's love for His children is immense. Again, if I might quote from Owen, in his book, Communion with God, he, he describes it this way. He says, The love of God for his children is a love of rest, contentment, and delight. The love of God for his children is a love of rest, contentment, and delight. Do you ever think of God resting in his love for you? Do you ever think of God as being content in that love for you? Or, or that God delights in you. 
Turn to Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. Not Zechariah, but Zephaniah. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. And we read some words that oftentimes we think are very anti-Presbyterian. That's not true, by the way. If you read uh, the Presbyterians and the Reformers of old, they very much reflect what this verse reflects. But I think sometimes we so focus on the sovereignty of God and things like that that we forget things like Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will say, okay, that's no problem. We got that. But then notice what he says. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. Now, that phrase, he will quiet you by his love, literally in the Hebrew is he will be silent because of his love. Now, that doesn't sound like the same thing we're reading in the English version of our Bibles, but hang with me just a minute, okay? When he says he will be silent because of his love, he has in mind the whole idea that God is content in his love. There's, there is such contentment that it is expressed by being silent or without grumbling or complaining. God is not coming to you and looking at all your faults and saying, I can't believe that Rick did this or, or Sally did that or Joe did this. He's not grumbling. He's not complaining. Because God's love is so full, so perfect, and so absolute that it will not allow him to complain of anything in those whom he loves. So he's silent. And when God is, is said to be quiet in his love, it means he is satisfied with the object of his love. Do you ever think of yourself that way? That God is satisfied. He has set his love upon you and he is satisfied in you. That's not where we live, is it? Aren't we always thinking, oh God, how can you love me? I, I do this and this and I, I fall short here and I do this. And the whole time, he is satisfied with the object of his love. He will not seek for a more satisfying object of love. He's not going to say, oh, well, you know, Rick just doesn't measure up. So, you know, I'll, I'll go over here to Travis. And I'll love him instead because Rick just does. That's not how God operates. His love will make its home in your soul on, on which it is fixed forever. Okay, do you hear that? His love will make its home in the soul on which it is fixed forever. And In other words, God will make his love abide in you. And, and he will love, and that love will camp there, and it will be fixed up on you forever. Okay? And so, therefore, he will quiet you by his love. As you come to understand that love, as you receive that love, and you live in that love, and you delight in that love, there's a sense in which you will be quieted by his love. So, the, the ESV translation is a good translation. But it shows God's great love for us. The verse also shows God's delighting in the object of his love. Look at the next phrase. Not, not, not only will he quiet you by his love, but he will exult over you with loud singing. God rejoices as one that is 
fully satisfied in his children. Now, there's a couple of Hebrew words expressing the delight and joy that God has in love. But the one here that we're talk that I want to talk about is um, it's the one that refers to the inward emotion of the mind and joy of the heart. It shows the intensity or the strength of God's love. It's a it's a love of gladness and joy. It is it's the highest expression of delight and love. But this inner feeling of delight and joy can't be contained. So God must express it outwardly. And so God shows his delight with joyful sound or with singing over his children. Now, that's sort of the opposite of uh, sort of the opposite of what we read in other texts in the Bible where it talks about how God was not well pleased with his children. And we see that sometimes with the Israelites or with those who turn back to their old ways against the Lord. But God takes pleasure in those who stick close by him. Now, do not hear me say when I say he's, he, he, he takes pleasure in those who stick close to him. I'm not saying in those who are perfect. I'm not saying in those who are sinless. I am saying in those who are his sons. <clears throat> there, there's a rest and a delight in God's love. So God wills to do good to his children and to rest content in that will. My question this morning is this. Do you know such love of the Father? Do you know that? Do you know your Father loves you that much if you are His child this morning? When, when you think of God's love for you, do you only think of love in the past? Do you only think of the foot of the cross? Now, granted, it's true. It's hard to think of a, a greater expression of God's love for us than what he did at Calvary in giving his own son. And so that was a great act of love. But do you think of, a, of God's current love for you? Do you think of God's future love that delights over you, a love so immense that it breaks forth in shouts of joy? That's the Father's love for His children. You know, as Christians, we can be foolish, sometimes actually worse than foolish, I guess. Uh, as Spurgeon once described, he says, there are times when God brings before us the truths of His kingdom, yet we cannot see their beauty. We cannot appreciate them. We we seem to be as if we are totally demented and ignorant and unstable and weary and apt to slide. Can anybody here relate to that? I can. You know, is that not our struggle? He lays out these beautiful truths. He goes, this is the reality. And yet we just don't get it. That's the modern vernacular of what Spurgeon's saying. You just don't get it. But Spurgeon goes on to say, he says, but thanks be unto God. We are his children still. We're still his children. Maybe you're a child of God of little faith and you look to other believers and, and you see their great faith and you grieve over the fact that you not only don't slay great giants or enemies in your spiritual life, but you trip over the smallest piece of straw. You, you give in to the smallest temptation and, and you're afraid of the smallest shadow, the smallest trial that comes your way. And if that describes you this morning, 
then I want you to know that the fatherhood of God and his love is common to all his children. Not just his super children, as we might think. Because there are no super children, right? Uh, the Christian of little faith is as much a child of God as the great one. One Christian may walk in more grace than another, but God does not love one more than another. So rest in the Father's love, my child, this morning. No matter what it is that you're going through. And so know that love. But now how, how can we respond to that love? We've defined that love. We've clarified the fatherhood of God. Now how do we respond to the fatherhood of God? Well, if we were to have communion with the Father in love, two things are required of us. First of all, we must receive the love of the Father. We must receive the love of the Father. And secondly, we must show gratitude and love to the Father. We receive the love of the Father, and then we must show gratitude and love to the Father. So, receiving the love of the Father. Until the love of the Father is received, we have no communion or fellowship with the Father in love. I mean, do we have a relationship with God? Yes, we do. But there, there's always something there until we understand God's love for us. Now, you might ask, how is this love of the Father to be received in order that we may have fellowship with Him? And the answer is very simple. It's by faith. It's by faith. It's, it's to understand that this is true. Even when you don't feel that way, even when you have struggled with temptation and you have, and you have lost, is to understand that regardless of how you feel, regardless of what the circumstances are in your life, no matter what your instincts are telling you or your gut is telling you, that your Father loves you. You see, growth in our walk with God is, is what we're aiming at. You know, we, many of us have dark and disturbing thoughts that arise to hinder our walk with God. Do you not, do you not experience that? Those times when, when you're struggling and you just think, Oh, God, I need you. And you just think, Oh, but He could never love me again. He could never accept me. I need to do something to show Him that I'm serious. I have to do something. Instead of understanding, no, He loves you. Few Christians can rise to the heights of the Father's love by faith so as to rest their souls in His love. That's something, brothers and sisters, we are growing to do to understand the Father's love. His love is so great. It's hard for us to live at that height and to understand that love so much so that we could be at rest and peace with Him. And so we must come to Him and we must pray, Oh God, help me to know Your love as You love me. Help me to rest in that. We often live far below God's love for us in the troublesome reign of region of hopes and fears and storms and clouds. But abiding in the Father's love means peace and quiet. Abiding in the Father's love is, is to see Him as gentle and kind and tender and loving and unchangeable. He is our Father and the great fountain and reservoir of all grace and love. You see, Christ came to reveal God to us, especially as our Father, and Christ leads us to God as love. And by this, Jesus gives us the rest which he promised us as we receive that and rest in that. 
You see, faith seeks out a place for the soul to rest. And this rest is presented to the soul by Christ, the mediator, because it by Christ that the soul has access into the Father's love. And so receive the love of the Father in Christ. But don't just receive the Father's love, but also show the love to the Father. Now, I'll, I'll just tell you this. As you come to grasp the love that the Father has for you, you will have no choice but to show Him love. You can't help it. You just are so overwhelmed by His love. Proverbs 23, 26 says, My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. Luke chapter 10, verse 27, And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. You see, we oftentimes hear those verses out of context and we sort of feel like, okay, God, i got to try harder to do those things. But do you understand the context of those commands that He gives us? He gives us those commands in the context of His love for us. And He says, I love you so much. And I want you to love me back. And the way you love me back is to give me your whole being. Is to obey my commands. You see, when the believer sees God as love sees Him to be infinitely loving and lovely and finds rest and peace for a soul in that love, then the believer has communion with the Father in love. See, this is love that what? God first loved us. Then we love Him in response to that love. Now, this may sound sort of unusual because we always talk about how love is not a feeling, it's a, it's a choice, it's an act of the will. And that's true, but there is a sense in which love is a feeling or emotion of union and delight and the desire to be near the object that we love. It may not start out with those feelings and emotions, but as we, as we love that person, we desire to be near the very one whom we love. And so long as the Father is seen as, as harsh and judging and condemning, the soul is filled with fear and dread every time it comes to him. So in the scripture, we read of sinners fleeing and hiding from God. What did Adam and Eve do when they sinned against God, but they hid from him? But when God the Father is seen as a father, as he is seen as filled with love, the soul is filled with love to God in return. This is in faith the ground of all acceptable obedience. This is why we obey. And so we read verses like Deuteronomy 11, 1. You shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep His charge, His statutes, His rules, and His commandments always. You're like, I want to do that because I love Him so and I want Him to see how I love Him. John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 14, 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. John 15, 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, 
just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. You see, Paul tells us that God in His love chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world in order that we should be holy and without blame before Him. It all begins in the love of God and it ends in our love for Him because He so changes us. That's what the eternal love of God aims to produce in us is a love for Him and also sort of goes without mention is a love for other people. And so let me just ask you this morning, do you know God as your Father? Do you live in the abundance of His love? Does your soul know peace and contentment and rest? Men, dads, do you you want to be godly fathers? Do Do you understand that the only way you can be a good father to your children is if you are a child that abides daily with your Heavenly Father? Someone once said, and I I don't know what the source of this is, but they said it's a wise father who knows his children, but maybe it's a very wise child who takes time to know his, his father. And that's us, that we might know our father. Well, what's that look like? Well, Tim Hansel... Uh, wrote a book and and that was an illustration and he talked about he and his son Zach and he said one day he and his son Zach were out in the country and they were climbing on some cliffs and he goes I heard a voice that yelled at me said hey dad catch me he said I turned around to see Zach jumping from this boulder he said but he jumped first and then said hey dad later and so he said I sort of reacted like some kind of circus acrobat and Ended up catching him and it knocked us to the ground. And he said for a moment, he said I could hardly speak. And then he said when I found my voice again, he said I said in exasperation, Zach, can you give me one good reason why you just did that? (laughs) And his son responded with remarkable calmness. He said, sure, because you're my dad. You see, Zach's whole assurance was based on the fact that he knew his father loved him and his father was trustworthy. And that's where God calls us this morning on this Father's Day, where we, we give thanks to God for our fathers and we remember our fathers. But let us rejoice in our Heavenly Father that we can live life to the hilt in one sense because we can trust Him and we can rest in Him. Amen? Let's bow our heads and just reflect upon God's Word this morning. spoken to us in your word today 
and you have shown us of your great love for your children. Lord, please help us as your children to receive that by faith. Even when we don't feel it, even when we don't understand it, even when it feels like you're distant, let us know that you are a God who delights over us, a Father who sings over us with great joy. Lord, we, we have no idea what would cause you to love us. But may we know this love and may we love you this way as well. Lord, I pray for anyone here today or who may be listening on the live stream who doesn't know you, Father. That they would turn their hearts over to you. They would recognize their sin and how unworthy they are for such love. But to know that you are a God who forgives our sins in Jesus Christ because he's paid the penalty on the cross for those sins. And if we will just believe you in faith, that you will make us new creatures in Christ. You will make that adoption a reality. We will be yours. We thank you, O oh Lord. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.